It is 11.07, and it is Think Tank Thursday, and as such, Dave Rowland is going to be with us. He's going to chat about this New York judge issuing a gag order after President Trump said some things about his clerk, his law clerk. We'll get to that at about 20 after 11, but first, Mike Murphy is with us with Como Buzz, and I'm confused because I don't understand the story. Because The mayor has apparently created the Office of Violence Prevention, which I thought was the police department. Well, we got, we got, an, we got some uh, new bureaucratic help uh, coming aboard now, it sounds like, to, to uh, fill this uh, space and show our commitment and dedication to action, according to the mayor. Well, what the hell is the police department for? Isn't that what they do? Yep, they are. Uh, yes, indeed, that's what they they do. That is uh, true, and they are very unhappy. They have been. They they've gone very public over the last few months with their criticism of the city council, uh, what they consider to be a lack of support, both moral and tangible. Uh, and they actually are making um, sort of like uh, accusations back at the council that, in fact. The council itself and their lack of support of policing, proactive policing in town, is responsible for um, this, this, some of this uh, lawlessness that we have going on. Uh, that's brewing. It, it, it pops up. It flares up. It's flared up recently. And then all of a sudden, while that's all brewing in the background, and we have a, a three-year-old got killed by a firearm uh, a week ago Sunday. And the next thing you know, the mayor's out with this this statement that says, you know, that she's going to create this office to bring the full force of the city uh, into this space to um, uh, show their commitment and dedication to action on community violence. And, you know, everybody who's been paying attention, you know, we had a mayor's task force on community violence in 2014, and we still haven't implemented some of the recommendations that came out of that. There's people, uh, handfuls of victims or families of victims who've cried in front of city council over the last couple of years more than that probably about the devastation to their families because of community violence um you know we we've, we've dedicated arpa funds to specifically to community violence uh and then this just kind of pops up out of nowhere to add a couple people to the city's manager's office to coordinate efforts and uh everybody not just on all sides of the political spectrum her progressive uh, the most progressive uh, end of things they they pretty much ridiculed it and dismissed it and, and the police are really the police are really unhappy if you look at it from the police perspective they're saying they don't get support uh they got a long list of, of uh obvious reasons why they say that from the fusis camera system that the council wouldn't let them buy that would help them track down uh uh criminals after after events happen to uh the harpo's cops who quit because they thought they weren't going to get support the, the chief resigns in the in the middle of his career um uh they they got 25 million dollars here's a big thing there's 25 million dollars of arpa funds these uh, federal rescue american federal rescue plan uh pandemic relief funds this the, the city's doling out they just have 25 million dollars and in a lot of places and it was recommended here that goes to uh, hazard pay to first responders, cops and firefighters. And the old mayor recommended that we spend, uh, it would have been $3 million of that on first responders with $10,000 bonuses to them all. Well, that just died, never happened. And at the end of the day, not one single penny of any of that money went to 
uh, any first responders, no policemen, no firefighters. So they're pretty raw about that, and, and, and they just feel you know disrespected, not supported. They, they feel like they can't police proactively. And then when this little boy gets shot, the next thing you know, you got the mayor adding some bureaucracy to city hall, and it just sort of kicked. It's it sort of upset a hornet's nest, and it's been buzzing pretty hard all week. <laughs> the office of what? It's the police yeah. department for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. So, so police didn't get any ARPA money? Law enforcement got none of it? Not a penny. And uh, it, it's even worse than that. Um, so they dedicated 2.7 or 2.27, I'm going to say, million dollars to violence protection, violence prevention. None of that went to police. It went to other things. One of the things, 200,000 of it went to is the... Um, uh, Boone Boone County uh, Garden Farm, or whatever they call that, I can't think of what it is. It's a it's a, a Boone County Nature School as a way for like perhaps to take children out to uh, learn to grow things. That's under their stopping community violence program. Oh, that'll so, do it. Yeah, I know. And yeah, just that, really, that, yeah, yeah. That, that'll turn them right around. So it becomes but we wouldn't a, want law enforcement to be available to protect them on their way to that little farm would we well there are 30 officers down now too so that's you just add it all up they're you know they're they're not getting this tangible spending any money uh there's no new officers in the budget they're 30 officers down which is not getting fixed it's growing uh largely they blame on you know the working conditions that have resulted and just basically the lack of respect that a columbia police officer gets from the city council so this is all brewing. This, none of this is new. It's been going on, although it is, it's new in a way because just be prior to this, the, um, the Columbia Police Officers Association came out complaining again, largely over the ARPA uh, points, that none of this was spent on any real law enforcement in places where perhaps they certainly believe they could do some good about violence prevention, and it's spent on these other programs and nonprofits and uh, basically... It actually, virtually zero to police. Well, you just you know you why why bother making people safe? That's just the job of the city. On this, uh, Paul is calling in. Paul, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. I just want to thank you, number one, for pointing out that in 2014, there were several of us, including two city council members, that served on that task force on community violence. And we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours pouring over information to make our final recommendations, of which literally one has been implemented. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a great starting point. But gentlemen, I've been thinking about this $200,000 for the nature school, and you know what maybe it's not a bad plan after all maybe they're going to turn that nature school into a survivalist camp so that when crime gets so bad here in columbia we know how to survive out in the woods and live off the land do you think that might be what the city was thinking i don't know what they were thinking uh they you know this is all done in secret by the way on the city side Two things to point out. One is the county also gave that school $200,000. So that school is in Clover all of a sudden. But uh, the city's deliberation on where all that $25 million went, or at least the second half of it, $12 million for sure, was all done behind closed doors in secret. And to this day, nobody really knows. There's been no public revelation of any of the deliberations that went on and how they gave out that money. All right, no, Paul. It's, 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 it's insane that they went through secret. And I would just like to point out, and I, keep, I will keep harping on this until city council does something about it. Neighborhood Watch used to be funded by five 
$5,000 by the city of Columbia. $5,000. They literally spend more than that on their retreats. And Neighborhood Watch gets a zero from the city of Columbia anymore. And if you want to stop crime in neighborhoods, get the neighborhoods involved. The cops want neighborhoods involved. Let's bring back Neighborhood Watch. Let's bring back some funding for them. And let's get the community involved in stopping the violence. And then the police will feel more supported. And then we'll actually have some action taken. Well, Paul, thank you very much for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. And uh, coming up, uh, Dave Rowland will be with us. But before we go too far, I want to talk about this roundabout at Chapel Hill. You wrote about it. It was uh, originally proposed in 2016. The neighbors came out uh, in mass. The neighborhood, 30 of them, I guess, appeared before in the public hearing at that time. Didn't want a roundabout. Since then... Uh, We've added uh, six or eight roundabouts throughout the city, four at least, right in that uh, sort of neighborhood. Uh, so the city, uh, the public works officials are saying that people's um, attitude towards roundabouts has improved now that they've seen them in action. And they're restarting up that program. That's a It's a traffic issue right there on Chapel Hill, sort of like right in the middle of it. It backs up every rush hour. Seriously, they talked about putting a light in there. The uh, traffic study revealed or, or they determined that the roundabout was the right way to go. So they're restarting up the roundabout process and uh, public hearings will start soon with the idea that there's going to be. And, and I would bet there's going to be a roundabout there. It's still two years out, but uh, that's what's going to end up there, I think. Give me a quick update on this uh, transmission line deal. That was originally uh, approved in 2015. Uh, finance, the voters voted to do it. It was held up by neighbors along Nifong Westwater School Road who didn't want the transmission line in their backyard. Council put it on hold, which they should have never stepped in and got involved in, but they did. It's been on hold ever since. So we're getting to be eight years now, and it was an essential east-west tra high-voltage transmission line to uh, balance loads between substations out in southern Columbia that still hasn't been rectified. A former uh, assistant director of utilities appeared before council again Monday night saying, if you guys don't get your act together, we're going to have a meltdown in the electrical system. And he's saying now it's going to be on you, so you need to do something. They still need to get that line done. All right. You want to get all this information? You go to ComoBuzz1Z.com. ComoBuzz.com. Mike Murphy, thank you for uh, all the hard work. Thank Glad you. to have you with us. Thank you, Gary. All right. Take care. Coming up, Dave Rowland is going to be with us, and uh, we'll find out about this gag order against President Trump. Gary Nolan Show, Zimmer Radio Network. 1121, glad to have you with us, glad to be with you. It is the Gary Nolan Show, and it's Think Tank Thursday, and Dave Rowland is with us. Uh, MoFreedom.org, and I want to uh, just say thanks, Dave, for uh, stepping in on relatively short notice yesterday. I appreciate uh, all your help. Um, you know, it's my pleasure, Gary. I love doing it. Well, great. And uh, what, what about uh, the next, uh, say, hour or two? Can you <laughs> listen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so the, the judge in New York, actually, what I, uh, if I'm not mistaken here, uh, and, and you understand I was a little bit tied up, but I, I thought that what President Trump did was allege that uh, the law clerk was having an affair with a senator, am I? Am I? Well, there... it's it's not even quite clear. Um, so, the, the there was a picture of this law clerk standing next to Chuck Schumer, and so um, 
President Trump posted something on Truth Social in which he referred to the clerk as Schumer's girlfriend. Now, whether he was actually suggesting that they are engaged in a romantic relationship or whether he was just being sarcastic is not in any way clear. But the judge uh, was really upset about basically um, President Trump putting shedding light or or putting the clerk in the spotlight. Um, Essentially, the judge viewed it as kind of painting a target on the clerk. And and so the judge has now issued this gag order and and says, basically, you leave my clerk out of this. And he didn't he didn't directly reference uh, Donald Trump in the order. He basically said nobody's allowed to do this, but clearly um, he was speaking directly to to Donald Trump on this. But here's what here's what bothers me about this, Gary. Um, law clerks are in fact public employees, right? Yeah. If, if you work for a court. You're a public employee, therefore you are something of a public figure. And it concerns me that a judge would basically say people are just not allowed to make comments about or show pictures of um, a public employee. And now I understand judges are incredibly protective of their staff. Um, judges have also been getting more and more protective of themselves. I don't know if you were aware. I, we may have discussed it. Um, but when Judge Wilson of the Missouri Supreme Court was chief justice uh, last year, he was pushing a law that would actually put judges' uh, personal information off limits. It would basically make their their personal information confidential. So if you wanted to know where a judge lived, what their address was, what their phone number was, um, it would be illegal to share that information. And I had concerns with that. Um, you know, almost all public officials in the state, when they sign a declaration of candidacy, they have to reveal where they live, what their phone number is, their contact information. And I just don't think that there's a real justification for saying that judges or judicial staff are exempt from the same kind of transparency and exposure that we expect of all public officials. Um, But I will tell you, I think the courts are probably going to uphold this gag order not because that's the correct outcome, but because courts are extremely protective of their staff and because they have their own personal interests in making sure that this information is limited, that people can't just go out and share this kind of thing. And so I I think that's probably an incorrect outcome from a constitutional perspective, but I would not be at all surprised to see this gag order upheld. Well, you know, the the problem is emotionally, I really support Trump. I mean, and and I don't mean this politically, but it seems like, and I'm curious about this. I guess it it varies from state to state. But if a prosecutor runs for office, and I know I'm veering a little bit, saying, I'm going to go after Donald Trump. I'm going to bring him to his knees without having any, you know, real, you know, it's not like there was some evidence that turned up. She just targeted the guy. 
Well, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I, I think that there have long been suspicions about the dealings of the Trump organization. Um, there had long been concerns that perhaps he was overinflating his personal uh, financial uh, value. And, and so certainly it would be a problem if, if someone has a vendetta against a particular defendant. We, we do not want our judicial system to uh, be driven by personal vendettas. But at the same time, I don't think it's accurate to say that there was just no legitimate concern before the prosecutor decided to go after um, no, the Trump organization. She, she ran for office saying, I'm going to get him. As opposed to most cases, which is, uh, you know, law enforcement dropped this in our lap. Look what he's doing. Yeah, and, and that can indeed be a problem. So, for example, here in Missouri, uh, former St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner was basically campaigning on the idea that she would prosecute Eric Greitens, the former governor, that she would go after the McCloskeys. Um, and, and so that does happen on occasion. Now, if I recall correctly, um, the courts ended up disqualifying Kim Gardner's office from a couple of those prosecutions, not from the Greitens prosecution, uh, but but I think that Kim Gardner's office was ultimately disqualified from the McCloskey prosecution, which did not mean that the prosecution could not go forward. It simply meant that her office could not be the prosecuting attorney for the purposes. So it basically, um, the prosecution got handed over to a different uh, attorney. I, 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 matter of fact, I think that they ended up bringing in St. Louis County attorneys, not even regular prosecutors, but uh, regular St. Louis County attorneys to come in and handle that prosecution. Um, so, so where there are concerns that charges were driven by personal or political concerns rather than simply a desire to enforce the law. There are mechanisms that uh, a defendant can pursue to have a biased or um, vendetta-driven prosecutor removed from the case, but that doesn't necessarily get them off the hook. Now, I do not know, uh, I can't remember if, if um, Donald Trump's attorneys tried to get uh, the prosecution here removed or disqualified from the case. Uh, they may have, but um, but I don't recall. But one way or another, that is a a possibility when there's a concern about a vendetta. Um, and if the courts ended up saying we don't think that the concerns are sufficient here to require removal, you know that's that's the ruling, and the defendant just has to just has to cope with it and move forward. Well, it feels like a political vendetta. We hate Donald Trump. We're going to get him. I know there are a lot of people that feel that way. All right. Uh, it just, it's, uh, it's troublesome. It, it seems to me like he's just being attacked. All right, we're up against the clock here. We're going to have to take a quick break. But when we come back, defenders of the Florida and Texas social media laws contradict themselves. Piece that was uh, in Reason Magazine. And can an unconstitutional law force you to sell your home to a private investor? Curious about that. Uh, but the uh, first one is uh, the farmer, uh, the Texas farmer. What is going on? Flooded by the government? That's next. Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network.
This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 11.35. Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. He's a guy that likes to sue the government to protect your freedom. Uh, and there are organizations like his all around the country in different states. Uh, but here, um, we get Dave. And, well, he's got a case he wants to talk about. Supreme Court is going to hear a case of a Texas farmer flooded out by the state. Flooded out by the state? You mean the state pumped water into his land? Not quite, but one of the things that sometimes happens when the government is doing something with infrastructure, building new roads or updating sewers or things like that, is they make adjustments that end up causing damage to private property. So in this particular situation, uh, the farmer's property was adjacent to Interstate 10 running through Texas, and when the government revamped part of the interstate, it resulted in every time that it rains, um, this farmer's land getting flooded. And it's it's destroyed uh, several rounds of crops. It's killed a number of animals. And so he wanted to sue. He says, this is a taking of my property. You have caused damage that has reduced the value of my property. I need to be compensated under the Fifth Amendment. And uh, Really interesting thing here is that the U.S. Supreme Court said quite some time ago that the takings clause of the Constitution is a self-executing provision. So what that means is nothing additional has to happen before citizens can enforce this aspect of the Constitution. There are certain circumstances where the courts have said, even though there is a particular provision of the Constitution on the books, if there is no law in place that describes how a citizen would go about enforcing that provision, they just can't do it. So the U.S. Supreme Court says the takings clause is self-enforcing. Citizens can go straight to court and they don't have to follow any prescribed statutory system. Problem being, the lower courts didn't always get the memo. And so the Fifth Circuit, which includes the state of Texas, and the Ninth Circuit, which includes the state of California, both said you only get to bring a takings clause claim if the states have put laws in place that describe how the courts are supposed to handle those claims. So what happens if, like Texas, you just don't? put a statutory scheme in place, the Fifth Circuit says you don't get to have your takings claim heard, which is ridiculous, right? Like, uh, how yeah. can you have how can you have a constitutional right on the books, especially when the U.S. Supreme Court has said this is a self-executing provision and then have a federal court say, well, yeah, but if the states haven't put statutes in place, then they've basically immunized themselves against the enforcement of this constitutional provision. But that's exactly what happened. Um, so. Our friends and former colleagues at the Institute for Justice up in Washington, D.C., took on this case. And just last week, the U.S. Supreme Court decided they will, in fact, review this case. And I got to tell you, Gary, I don't think they would have agreed to review this case unless they intended to reverse the Fifth Fifth Circuit and make clear citizens can enforce their property rights, whether or not their state has provided a legal framework within which to do so. So I'm I'm hugely optimistic about this and thrilled uh, for my friends at IJ that they've got another super important property rights case in front of the Supreme Court. 
There's a, another Supreme Court case, and I've talked about it on the gun show. It's going to be very interesting. This guy is a real cretin, uh, and he had a, a restraining order uh, put on him, and uh, he he had a gun. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, it, and it, it, if Bruin is to be upheld, then this guy is to be defended. And that's an ugly, ugly place to be because the guy is such a cretin. Yeah, and we've talked about that case before. One of the things that concerns me is the old adage that attorneys use is bad facts make bad law. In other words, if you have a hugely unsympathetic client, then the courts may bend the law uh, so that they can rule against them, even if all other things being considered equal, um, that, that you know, undesirable client really probably should prevail. So this is one of those situations where bad facts could make bad law, but let me also say that the Supreme Court has a reasonably good track record of defending constitutional rights, even when you've got some pretty unsavory um, plaintiffs coming into the court. So, for example, there was a famous First Amendment case where the Ku Klux Klan wanted to host a racist march right through the heart of a Jewish community. Um, and the, I mean, those are bad facts. <laughs> you know, no one wants to say, oh yes, Jewish people should be forced to endure, you know, these racists walking right through their streets telling them that they don't have a right to live. But the, the Supreme Court um, did in fact uphold the right of the KKK to go and say offensive things. Same thing with Westboro Baptist Church, the folks over in Kansas who like to go around and hold up signs at military funerals, um, you know, saying basically God wanted your child to die. Um, the courts have upheld their rights to be completely obnoxious because we have to defend the rights of really obnoxious people if we want to make sure that our own rights are protected. So, you know, this, I, I think I am hopeful. I am, I am optimistic, if not 100% confident, that the Supreme Court will ultimately do the right thing in the Second Amendment case that's coming up this term. We'll have to see how the oral arguments go, and as soon as they've had those, we'll definitely be talking about it on your show. It's going to be a fascinating case, and uh, of course that will uh, receive an in-depth uh, review for Gary on Guns, which airs every Saturday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. Defenders of the Florida and Texas social media laws contradict themselves. Yeah, so we talked about these situations before. Florida and Texas both passed laws that basically say if you own a social media company that does business in our state, you have to allow people to say basically whatever they want. You can't censor messages or disfavor messages um, because they're conservative in point of view. The problem is, Gary, and, and we've talked about this before, is that social media companies are private or organizations. And, and so they have a constitutional right of their own to decide, we don't want this on our platform. Um, and so, you know, part of the reason this is really interesting right now is the Supreme Court has agreed to take these cases, and they took both the Florida and the Texas cases, which had 
opposite outcomes. So the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which uh, includes Florida, said that Florida's law was unconstitutional because it violated the social media company's rights to make their own uh, decisions about what statements they would host. The Fifth Circuit, which includes Texas, said, we think this law is okay. We think it's constitutional. And so the U.S. Supreme Court is going to have to resolve that split. But the the thing that the Reason Magazine article was pointing out, and I think it's a well-made point, is it's very difficult for people to insist on their own freedom of speech while at the same time arguing that they should be able to defy other people's freedom of speech. Um, you know, why in the world should I be able to com- uh, command you, Gary, if you've got your radio show, why should I be able to command you to host viewpoints that you disfavor or to to share ideas that you disagree with? That intrudes on your freedom of speech to require you to, to transmit or share those messages with which you disagree you should be able to decide the content of your radio show, not someone who's unhappy that they can't get on your show. And that's that's really what this case boils down to, I think. And so, um, again, we'll see how the Supreme Court ends up dealing with this. But I am I am hopeful that they will defend the rights of these social media companies. And if people don't like the decisions that those companies are making, there are now alternatives out there. There's Truth Social. There's Rumble. There's uh, – I think a lot of people would argue that since Elon Musk took over Twitter, Twitter has been much better, or X, I guess is what they're calling it now, has been much better about tolerating viewpoints that uh, a lot of the censors would prefer that they not uh, that they not let out there. So uh, let the market work. Don't don't infringe on people's constitutional rights. By the way, I actually think he's going to. I'd almost be willing to to bet money that he finds a way to turn that around and make it profitable. Uh, I don't see where he's committing any mortal sins. Uh, He's just letting people express themselves, and that was the whole point of Twitter, I thought. Uh, And I I don't think he's certainly at the outset that seemed to be the idea of Twitter. But um, yeah, the 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 center goblins took it over. Yeah, Uh, I'll bet he does survive. And his his uh, I think is is it Bezos that came up with an alternate version. it turns out it's it's going nowhere fast. It's oh, it was it was Zuckerberg. Yeah. Zuckerberg. So so they they created Instagram Threads that was supposed to be an alternative, and there was huge initial interest, and then it just nosedived. I haven't even heard anything about Threads over the last probably three months. Yeah. So. I think he's going to make it. Uh, I think he's going to make it profitable. Uh, we're up against the clock, so when we come back. Can an unconstitutional law force you to sell your home to a private investor? Well, I thought we already had that decision in uh, with, uh, in New England uh, when they were using the uh, uh, eminent domain laws. Didn't we make people do that? I don't know. We'll get more details from Dave Rowland, MoFreedom.org. It is 11.51. Glad to have you on board with Dave Rowland, uh, our guest, MoFreedom.org. Uh, I might add slash donate because uh, if the government is trying to usurp your freedoms and you go to Dave and he takes the case, he doesn't charge you for that. Uh, so he he does that based on donations. And those cases can be very expensive. 
And uh, have you, uh, well, let me just uh, just uh, move right on here to the force you to sell your land, your home. Didn't, isn't that what we did uh, with eminent domain, force people to sell their homes? Well, yes, but this is not eminent domain. So the, the situation over in Arizona is that they had a law on the books that said basically if a supermajority of a condo um, block decides that they want to buy out the building, Arizona law said that the people that were in the condo, even if they did not want to sell their condos, they were required to. The Arizona Court of Appeals said, well, that's unconstitutional. Like, you cannot force people, you can't have a statute on the books that forces people to sell their property to a new private owner. Um, and again, this is not an eminent domain situation. This is not where the government is coming in and saying, you know, we're we're forcing you to sell because there is some public purpose here. This is strictly private individuals deciding, I want what belongs to someone else. I'm going to force them to sell to me. Um, and, and so the Arizona Court of Appeals said that statute is unconstitutional, but because when the owners of these condo units made their purchase, they signed a private agreement, a contractual agreement that incorporated the terms of this unconstitutional statute, they have bound themselves to sell their properties even if they don't want to. Oh, so they sold themselves out when they signed on to buy. Well, that's the question, Gary. That's the question. So the Arizona Supreme Court has agreed to review this. And the thing is, is people used to include all sorts of improper terms in sales contracts. So for example, um, racially restrictive covenants. There, there used to be all kinds of uh, restrictions, like if you purchased a house, you were binding yourself not to, not to sell the house to a racial minority in the future. And courts have said, you can't do that. Like, you can't tie a, uh, a purchaser's hands in that way with a blatantly unconstitutional restriction like this. And so the argument that the condo owners are making here is, look, we had to sign this agreement if we were going to get the property. It wasn't like we voluntarily agreed to this. And if the statute itself is unconstitutional, why should then they be able to enforce this provision that we never would have agreed to had it not been for this unconstitutional statute in the first place? And so that's what the Arizona Supreme Court is going to have to decide. I I side with the with the unit owners here. I think that um, if they basically had no alternative but to make this agreement based on a statute that was on the books, and then it turns out that the statute was unconstitutional in the first place, I don't think that they should be held to uh, to those terms. But it is entirely possible that the Arizona Supreme Court could go um, the wrong way on this. I do know that there's likely to be one vote in the right direction. My friend, Justice Clint Bullock, who is on the Arizona Supreme Court. I, I think he's going to go the right way. I just hope that he brings his colleagues along with him. 
Uh, he's like you, an attorney, I assume, if he w- or he would be a Clint judge. Clint Bolick helped to found the Institute for Justice back in the 90s. He was one of the founding members of, of the Institute for Justice. And uh, he went on and he also started up the Constitutional Litigation Center at the Goldwater Institute in Arizona. And then he was named to the Arizona Supreme Court. Yeah, but I'm curious to find out if as an attorney... Uh, he's also an actor. Like, does he do plays? I know oh. you. <laughs> no, That's a I hell of a segue, and you screwed it up. But we'll we'll go for it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, so uh, just in case people weren't listening to the show yesterday, I am in a production this weekend in Mexico, Missouri, that maybe listeners will be interested in. Uh, 85 years ago, there was the famous War of the Worlds broadcast that caused a minor panic in New York City. Uh, Orson Welles had adapted the H.G. Wells sci-fi classic War of the Worlds into a radio play, and we thought that as uh, kind of an October treat this year, we would celebrate the 85th anniversary of this broadcast by doing a reader's theater version of the War of the Worlds broadcast. My kids came to the uh, dress rehearsal last night. They loved it. They thought it was fantastic, and uh, I'm very hopeful that that listeners might be interested. If you are interested, go to presserpack.com. That's presser. PAC.com, and uh, you can buy tickets there. They're $15. We're doing shows Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 7, and then Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And if anyone wants additional details, feel free to shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to send them additional details and restaurant recommendations and all of that. I remember asking my father uh, if he was aware, if he had seen this or heard this uh, broadcast, and he said yes. And I said, well, what did you do? And he said, I can't tell you. What? Yeah, so it makes me think that he did something he wouldn't want to tell his little boy uh, that he did. I don't, to this day, <laughs> well, I don't I mean, know. It, it really did freak a lot of people out because yeah. they missed the disclaimer at the top of the show where they explained that it was an adaptation of the book. So they tuned in, and the way that it had been written, it was written to sound like an actual radio broadcast relaying the events of this alien invasion. And yeah, people panicked. Like People were trying to get out of New York City on the roads, and uh, they were you know panicked buying uh, goods at the grocery. It was it was crazy. Yeah, my father. Wish he'd have told me. I'm really curious. All right. Uh, War of the Worlds. It is, uh, you know, what a broadcast that was. And it had ripples all across the country. And uh, you, can, uh, you can see it done right here in central Missouri with Dave Rowland. Dave, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day, Carpe Diem. Grandbaby, honey, I love you.